You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, The world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We've been covering selective psalms in our series called Summer in the Psalms. And since we've been all over the place, last week being Psalm 1 and this week Psalm 96, I want to give you some context as to where we are in the book first. So Psalms is divided into five books. Psalm 96 is in the fourth of those books, and it's the smallest of those books, starting in chapter 90 and concluding in chapter 106. And as the third book is closing, we are left with a question in Psalm 89, verse 49, and it says this, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old by which your faithfulness you swore to David? The, The question is not asked, Because God has been unfaithful to his people, but because his his people have been unfaithful to him. And so his children are naturally wondering, if we've failed on our end, will the holy God fail on his? And, And this question comes as they are experiencing life in exile because of their disobedience. Now we know trials are never fun. Suffering is never something that we ask for or long for or want. They're in a difficult moment, the children of Israel are. And so into book four, the Israelites are given a perspective change. Not that any of their circumstances have changed, They're still in exile. Things are still really difficult. Life is tough. And yet, the psalm writer is giving us a different perspective on the holy God. Where do we look in times of trouble? 
Where do we go to when things are really tough, when they seem to be out of our control? Here's how to deal with suffering. Here's where to run in tough times. So Psalm 96 says loud and clear, remember, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Man, that is incredible news to us this morning because I don't know how many people are in here this morning, maybe a hundred. And every single one of you have a different perspective and a different circumstance in your life that is happening at this very moment. Even members of the own household have different circumstances. And so it's impossible for me to know where you all are. You don't even know where everybody is in your own house, right? Where is everybody coming into this morning after the week that they've had? Here's the news that the psalmist gives us. Wherever you are, whatever is going on, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. I want us to see that the Lord's reign demands my worship this morning. The Lord's reign demands my worship. And in our passage, we'll see that the Lord's reign moves us to worship in several ways. The first is this. The Lord reigns, so I will sing. The Lord reigns, so I will sing. Let, let's say you're coming to this psalm in a Bible reading plan. Maybe, maybe you're in the middle of reading the Bible this year from cover to cover. And you come across Psalm 96, and you read these first few verses. And you say, okay, yeah, Psalm 96, that was good. And you keep going. I see a couple of people are like, yeah, that's what I do when I read my Bible. Uh, no judgment there. That's, that's often what happens. We're just reading God's word. He's told us to read his word. We know that it's good. We know that it's trustworthy. We know that it's profitable. And so we read it and we say, yeah, okay. And you continue reading right on. And what I'm trying to do from the pulpit often as I communicate on Sunday morning is to help us see this particular phrase that scripture interprets scripture. So if scripture interprets scripture, I want you to take note of that. If we just read this, Psalm 96, we're going through it in our Bible reading plan. It says in the title, Worship in the Splendor of Holiness. There's no other notes for us. We just read it and we go on. There's no apparent author. We don't have much, if any, context, except for what I just told you about the book of Psalms in general. But let's look a little closer. For many of you, this is going to sound elementary, and that's okay. But for others, this, this may be helpful in this moment, and that's why I give it. Okay? For most of us, if you're using some sort of Bible right now, there are these things called cross-references. Now, if you have a physical Bible, it's going to take a little more work, but you can do it. Okay? There's cross-references there. If you're on an app, the cool thing, you can just click it, and it pops up, and you have no idea where you just were taken to, but you were taken to another verse. And as that verse begins, you'll notice right away a small subscript right before the word O. That little subscript, that letter, that letter A, is telling us to look where? Somebody tell me. Maybe your Bible doesn't have it. First Chronicles. It's telling us to look at First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 22 through 33. And if you were to turn there, you don't have to, but if you have an app, it's easy. 
If you were to turn there, here's what we're going to start to read there. It says this, sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. And it continues, and it sounds exactly like what we just read from Psalm 96, doesn't it? In fact, there's a couple of other psalms that are intertwined in, Second Chronicle, in First Chronicles right there. But by and large, it is Psalm 96. Now, why do I tell you? I tell you that for context's sake, because this psalm, Psalm 96, is written in a time where the people, the children of Israel, are in an absolute amazement as a people. And they are joyous because the Ark of the Covenant, the very symbol of the presence of God, the very location of the presence of God is returning to Jerusalem at last. God has been ignored. The Ark of the Covenant has been ignored during the, the previous king's reign, King Saul. And now King David is bringing God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant back to its rightful place. And the people of God are ecstatic. Now, for just reading Psalm 96, and we don't take time to use what has already been given to us, like a cross-reference, we're going to miss some amazing things. So when we read of that again, oh, sing to the Lord, a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, we have some context. This is what is happening for the people of God. God, his presence is returning, and we rejoice. David has tried. He's been unsuccessful. You can read about that, but on the second attempt, He's able to get the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what's happening here in the psalm. The Lord reigns. And in their excitement, the psalmist begins to write in the first two verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 2, sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. And here we have our first method of worship in the text. And that is singing. Singing. And the psalmist is implying that the singing is not just an end of itself. We don't just sing to sing. We don't gather every single Sunday as God's people to sing just because it's always on our order of worship, do we? You're like, yeah. No, we don't. We don't. We gather together on Sunday morning as God's people because singing is not an end of itself. It is a means by which, the text tells us, the gospel of God is proclaimed. And so church, I want you to think about that for just a second. As we sing, as we conclude the service later on this morning, would you consider with me for just a second that your singing, that our collective singing is not just for ourselves, but it is also blessing the holy God. That's what your singing is doing. And you, you, you may say, man, I don't, I don't really sing in church because nobody wants to hear whatever noises are coming out of my mouth. I'm telling you, the people around me would be frightened. And, and, and I would have to say that the scriptures don't tell us anything about your pitch or your timbre or even your tempo or rhythm because I have none of it. I don't have any rhythm. And yet it says that our singing is a means by which we bless the Lord. So sing 
and bless the Lord. Would you consider that for just a moment? But also, not only are we blessing the Lord as we sing as a collective people, we are also rehearsing God's salvation one to another. That's what we're doing with each other, with those people around us. We are saying, the Lord reigns. Death was arrested, and Jesus saves. He has come. He has died the death that you and I deserve to die. He has defeated an enemy that you and I could not conquer, and he not only died, but he rose again on the third day. You and I, as we sing, are not only blessing the Lord, but we're rehearsing the gospel of God to one another. What a beautiful thing. And so when we think about it that way, it doesn't really matter what you sound like or exactly how you sing. God cares about our heart. Are we in tune with the gospel of God? Are we recognizing that this is more than just us singing because it's on the order of worship every Sunday, but we as God's people have the opportunity and privilege to sing and bless his name and to proclaim the gospel one to another. We get to sing, this is who God is and what he's done. Would you join with me Would you, friend, would you, family member, would you, brother, sister, join in with me in praising the living God? Verse 3 gives us yet another reason for singing. It says this, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. You see, with this, there is an invitation in our singing for the nations to join in the worship of the reigning God. There's a lot going on when we sing. There's a lot going on in the heavenly realm when we sing and when we bless God. There is a lot going on in the spiritual atmosphere between brothers and sisters when we proclaim the gospel one to another. We're inviting the world in to worship the living God as we sing. And if I were listening to myself say that this morning, I would probably again think, yes. Thank you, Chris. Yes. I agree with that. This is what I want to do, but I want to give us some additional perspective. A month or so ago, Dory and I went to an Atlanta United game. Anybody, anybody been to one? I may have talked about an Atlanta United game before. Uh, it was the second game that I had been to, so it's kind of still new and fresh to me. And one of the reasons I like to go to this particular game is because I know little to nothing about it. That would actually be any and all professional sports. But nevertheless, there is something special, I think, in my mind about the Atlanta United game because there are people, when you get into the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, that are just going crazy. You're like, what is this? I go to the Braves game, and everybody's just sitting there. And every once in a while, it's like, I'm like, what am I doing? Everybody else is doing it, so I just cheer alongside of them because everyone is extremely excited. And so the team is introduced, and the crowd is already going wild. And pretty much during the entire game, I don't like this part, but you have to stand up. Okay, You're standing up almost the entire game, cheering and shouting and singing these songs that I have no idea what is going on. I can't even understand the songs. 
But they're just singing it loud, loud. They continue to chant over and over. It's electric. There is something about being there that is exhilarating. And again, although I know little about what is going on, I'm drawn into that. I'm drawn into whatever is going on on the field. I'm drawn into whatever is going on in the stands. And so during the moments that I can actually hear my own voice, which are like three in the whole game, I'm leaning over asking Dory, hey, what just happened? You know, hey, why did that just happen? Hey, why aren't they stopping the clock? Hey, why can't all games be this short? You know, (laughs) things like that. I'm asking her all kinds of questions. As as the ark is being brought back into the city of Jerusalem, into the center of the home of God's people, here's what's going on. Psalm 96, the people cannot contain their excitement for what is happening. Why? Because as they see this miraculous feat, everyone cannot contain that the Lord, he reigns. The Lord reigns, and that is incredible news, and so they cannot help but to sing about it. It's even recorded in 2 Samuel 6.14 that King David, as the ark is brought back, that he danced before the Lord with all his might. There's a song that we used to sing in the youth group back in the day called Undignified, and that is about King David doing a jig. That's what's happening. I mean, these people have lost their minds. Think about the stadium at Mercedes-Benz when Atlanta United is playing and they have just scored a score. This has nothing on what the people of God are doing as the presence of God is coming back into its home place. The presence of God is here and the Lord reigns. Do you got it? You got it? You have some context now for Psalm 96? That is what is happening before us. Now, we all have our own worship styles. So do not hear me in what I'm communicating, pressuring you into some preferred style. No one's pressuring you to change that in one sense. Certainly not me. But this does beg the question, And I want you to hear this loud and clear. If you're a note taker, I want you to write it down. Is my singing proof that the Lord reigns? Is my singing proof that the Lord reigns? Because I'm here to tell you, when I'm sitting in a stadium filled with excited fans for the Atlanta United soccer game, I'm thinking, this team is amazing, whether they win or lose today. And so I just have to wonder, again, styles, it doesn't matter. But is your singing proof that the Lord reigns? Because because I'm among something special when God's people are gathered together and we're singing in blessing the living God and we're rehearsing his gospel one to another. As we sing to each other, are we convinced that God is indeed faithful, that he indeed reigns, that he is more important than all other gods? Is our worship through singing drawing the nations to lean in to the worship of the living God? 
Is it? Do we believe it? You may be here today and you say, I, I don't profess Jesus Christ as Lord. We welcome you here today. We're glad that you're, that you're with us, that you're seeing what's going on in here today. And so just for a second, this is a, a family teaching moment. I wonder for you or if you're watching online and you would say, I wonder if the, the living God really is alive. Would you see it? Would you know it? Would our singing be proof of it? Now, the psalmist is helping us understand, kind of like when I lean over to my wife at, at the game. What exactly is going on? What exactly just happened? And so I hear in Psalm 96 that the people are incredibly excited, but why? The method of worship here is singing, and now we move into the motive, beginning verse 4. The motive Look there in the text with me. It says, for great is the Lord. This is why we sing. This is why we're excited and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord, he made the heavens. And singing to the living, faithful, covenant-keeping God, we are remembering why we are doing such a thing. Because he is great, and he is greatly to be praised. He is, worthy, he is worthy of every ounce of our worship. He has brought his people from Egyptian slavery. He parted the Red Sea so that his people would be saved. He kept his people fed and nourished 40 years in the wilderness. He has done a great thing. Thing. He's guided his people by day and night. And we, in the new covenant, recognize that God has not only done those things, but that he has saved us from the power of sin because of the work of Christ Jesus on the cross. And so we are to be a people who are most excited. Family, we sing and worship to God knowing that all the gods of this world are worthless idols. Because in comparison to them, the text says, the Lord made the heavens. He made everything. In verse 5 in the Hebrew, there is a play on words here. Elohim is the word for God, and Elelim is the word for nothing. And so the text is essentially saying all the Elohim of the people are Elelim. One commentary said that these mighty beings are mighty useless because the living God made all things. We read that, we know that, and yet, I'll just be honest, I often walk the other way. I know that the gods of this world, the idols of this world are absolutely worthless in comparison to the living God who has created the heavens and the earth, and yet I am lured into them. Perhaps you're familiar with the Phantom of the Opera where Christine, one of the main characters, is lured by the phantom of the opera himself. And at one part, she is singing to him, okay? I don't know a lot about sports, but I like musicals, okay? So you, you, you take that judgment where you want, but th this is me, okay? And here's what's going on. Christine, as she sings, the phantom demands more and more at this one part in the musical, and he keeps saying, sing to me, Christine, sing, sing, the phantom shouts. 
And I was thinking about that in relation to the idols of this world, although we know, God's people know that those idols are absolutely worthless and powerless compared to the one true God. And yet, like the phantom, they seem so unavoidable, don't they? They just seem like at every step of our way, they're just pulling us. Sing a little louder. They're drawing us in. Power, sing to me. Sex, sing to me. Control, sing to me. And it's just a trap. Those things are powerless. As we gather this morning, my prayer is that you might see that the reigning Lord rightly. You might see him rightly and are able to worship him alone. Don't give another the song that you are supposed to and are created to sing to him. Don't give it to something that is worthless. Don't give it to something that is fleeting and temporary. This is to be our posture before the Lord, and if it is, we will not be able to contain our singing to him. I love the old song, How Can I Keep From Singing? A few of its lines go like this. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear that music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? What though my joys and comforts die, I know my Savior liveth. What though the darkness gather round, songs in the night he giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that rock I'm clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? We're given even more motivation for singing to the reigning Lord in verse 6. Look there in the text with me. It says this, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. We sing because everything else in this world, in this life, leaves us wanting. But the Lord, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty, the text says, are in his sanctuary. Matt Mason wrote that all the beauty your soul longs for, it isn't on the next website. Because the text says that the Lord is the strength of his people. He is our ultimate beauty. He is our ultimate splendor. That's the Christian testimony, isn't it? I have tried everything that the world has to offer, and it left me dry and wanting more. And yet I was drawn to those things all the more until Jesus Christ, he came in, he made this dead heart come to life and he saved me out from under the evilness and sin of the world and in my heart and he took my sin debt upon himself and he canceled it forever and he called me his I know I'm no longer heading for destruction, but eternal life with God. Christian, as you sing, remember the reigning Lord. Think of your brothers and sisters in this congregation that you are to be rehearsing that gospel with, and think of the nations that are on God's heart and are to be invited in as you do. The Lord reigns, and because of it, we sing. And second, in verses 7 through 10, we see the Lord reigns, so I will tell the nations. 
If I must sing because the Lord reigns, the text continues to imply that not only do we sing, but we have this impetus, this compulsion to go and tell other people, that we have this compulsion to invite others in to what God is doing, what he has saved me from, and how he is keeping us his people. And so again, we see the method of worship in Verses 7 through 10, ascribe to the Lord, the text says, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his, it shall never be moved. Ascribe, it's mentioned several times here in this particular passage, and it just means to acknowledge. When we ascribe something to the Lord, we're essentially saying something that is already true about him. You need to say it to the Lord, that he is glory and strength. You need to say it and acknowledge before the Lord that he is glory and glory is due his name. Glory and strength are not ours to come from nothing to give to the Lord. They are already his. We're simply acknowledging it. That's who who you are, God. I give it to you. I acknowledge it about you. If you haven't listened to our sermon on Psalm 67, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. We've been blessed by God to be a blessing to the nations. The missionary heartbeat of this passage is expounded in greater detail there, but it continues to pop up that our evangelism, our gospel proclamation is to be an overflow of our worship of the living God. Again, in Atlanta United terms, it was nothing for a complete stranger who was sitting next to me, who was also excited out of his mind to turn next to me and look at me and say, that was incredible, wasn't it? And understanding what was happening before us, that man sitting next to me became an evangelist for the good news that was going on before him. Do you think, Christian, that you could do the same in the kingdom that God has saved you into? That in delighting in who God is, in delighting, know that his presence is now living inside of us as new covenant Christians, that all we would have to do in gospel proclamation is simply turn aside to our neighbor and say, I have some incredible news. And it's only because I see what is going on before me. I see what is going on above me. I see what has happened in God's word. This is what he has done. And I'm simply turning aside and saying, wasn't that incredible? Isn't God incredible? I want you to know him. Would you know him? Would you be reconciled to this God? I am positive that you can. I'm positive that you can. You say, you don't know me, you don't know my temperament, you don't know my personality, and guess what? I would just say that I know what the Bible says, and the Bible says that if you are in Christ, that you also now have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. The same Holy Spirit that was raising Christ from the dead is inside of you, and he has given you the words to say, the scripture tells us, that he's given you the words to say when you need it. He does that for us. 
And so sure, some of us are gifted in different ways. Sure, some of us are going to be much better at speaking or teaching or evangelizing. But nevertheless, the call to gospel proclamation is simply an overflow of the worship of God that we've been given because of the faith in Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God inside of us gives boldness to those who need it, and he gives grace upon grace. And at the end of verse 10, we are given our motive for telling the nations. It says this, short, he will judge the peoples with equity. You say, why is that incredible news? Why does that compel me to go and share the gospel? Why does that move me to turn aside to my neighbor and say, haven't you heard what God has done? Because the Lord reigns is incredible news to those who acknowledge him. That's why we are to go. We go knowing that in Christ the penalty was due for us, for our sins, a a holy God was eternal punishment, and that on the cross Jesus Christ took on our sin debt upon himself. He absorbed the wrath of God that was storing up for us, and he took upon himself the judgment that we deserved. And not only that, when God looks at us now in Christ, he sees the righteousness of his Son. So how will you and I in Christ be judged on that final day? We will be judged not according to our merits in this life, but according to Christ's merits. And they're perfect because Christ is perfect. We will be looked at as clean, righteous, Those that have never trusted by faith in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, though, will be judged according to their merits, rightfully so. And before a holy God, no amount of good merits could stand. They all fall short. And so in judging those merits, those individuals will bear the wrath of God for all eternity. And so what do we do? We don't sit idly by. We, out of the overflow of the worship of our hearts, go and proclaim the gospel of God to the nations. So we invite them in. We implore them, as the Apostle Paul says, go and be reconciled to God. We must tell them of his wonderful deeds. We must tell them that we serve a God who is all beauty and is all splendor. But as Romans 10 asks, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Christian, in obedience to the commands of Christ, go and tell others about Jesus. And it has been incredible. And so we just knocking on doors or talking to people through the ring doorbells. More of the latter. People come to the door and they ask what we're doing there. And we just simply, out of the overflow of our hearts, get to say, we're Christians We want you to know the good news of the gospel. Have you heard it? And that has led to some incredible gospel conversations. And I tell you what, all the time my heart is beating. It's about to pound out of my chest, not because, uh, not, not, I don't know why, uh, but probably because I'm scared to death. Uh, And probably because that is a natural human reaction when you knock on somebody's door in in the morning that doesn't really want you to be there right? You know it. You don't really want people to knock on your door, but I'm doing it, and we're doing it. 
And so we're coming out there, and we're, we're just inviting people in to know the gospel message of Jesus Christ and having conversations with there. And we pray that God would bear fruit because of it. Come join us if you'd like. It is not our, as Christians, responsibility to see that they would be saved. It's only our responsibility, again, out of the overflow of our hearts and worship, to see that the gospel would be proclaimed. That's it. The saving work is not yours. That is incredibly freeing, Christian. It's not your burden to bear. That's God and God alone. But we go because of, God, because of who God is and what he desires for humanity, to be reconciled to himself, to be restored into right relationship with him as our first parents, Adam and Eve, were born into. The, the Lord reigns, so I will tell the nations. And if you want to join us one Wednesday morning, just holler at me. Come on. And your heart can beat too out of your chest. And finally, the Lord reigns, so I will look forward to his return. So what happens when the world recognizes the Lord's reign? All of creation joins in. And so in verses 11 and 12, we see there, again, our method of worship. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. My mind is immediately drawn to Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, saying that for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, the time is coming when creation itself will one day be free from the curse and will be glad, and we long as God's children for that very day. And we wait for it with patience. Continuing in verse 12, we see more of the motive for worship. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And so, in the context of Psalm 96, as the ark returns to its rightful place, as the symbol for the presence of God as the location for the presence of God has come back to Jerusalem. The people can't help but to think that while this is a spectacular moment, that God's presence coming back to dwell in the center of his people, there is going to be a greater time one day with God when he will make all things right. A time when God comes to judge the earth in righteousness and when we will fully realize that God, despite our unfaithfulness, and it is rampant, I know my own self, will have remained completely faithful to his people and his covenant promises. And as we conclude with that thought, we can't help but to go to Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. It says, here in the heavenly places, when it seemed like no one was going to be able to open the scroll, someone is found worthy to do it. Jesus. He's standing there like a lamb, standing as though it had been slain. And we come all the way in full circle to the beginning of Psalm chapter 96 again, where we are commanded out of the overflow of our hearts 
to worship God because the Lord reigns and we do that through song. Revelation chapter five says this here about this lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you had made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And so what happens here is that the singing continues. More songs. Imagine the church for all time in this grand heavenly stadium, drawn together by the living God himself, the Lord who reigns, looking upon the glory of God, singing and shouting, because they know what is actually happening before them, that the reigning God is there that Jesus Christ himself has given us something that we did not deserve, salvation in himself, a right relationship with him, and what a sound that's going to be like, right? Here in Revelation 5, this heavenly chorus, they fall down in worship because the Lord's reign demands your worship. Demands it. Not because I'm saying that it does, but because the Lord is deserving of it. The Lord's reign demands your worship. As we transition into communion, this is a meal. If you, if you have one of those cups, you can grab it with me. This is a meal for the people of God, those that have trusted in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins by faith. And we participate in this every single week as his people. If you didn't grab one on the, on the way in and you are amazed about this meal that we get to participate in every week is something that we also get to experience in Psalm 96 this morning, that there is a, a momentary uh, thing happening that, that in physical time and space, the ark, the presence of God was actually returning to Jerusalem and still the people then were looking forward to a day when all would still be made right. We do the same thing as we partake in this meal every single week. We know that Jesus Christ has come and he has died the death that we deserve to die once and for all time. And so if we trust in Christ, uh, if we trust in Christ Jesus' work by faith, we are fully and finally forgiven of our sin for all time. The power of sin is no longer, but the presence of sin still lingers here in this moment. We feel it. We recognize it. We give into it at times when we quench the work of the Spirit. And so we recognize, just like Romans 8 says, that there is coming a time when all will be made right, and we long for that day. And so as we share in this meal this morning as God's people together, a family meal, we remember that there is coming a greater banquet one day at the end of time where we, as God's people, the church of all ages, gathers together in that stadium and we get to participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs>